it was almost like a meditation on life because I never knew that there were so many organisms involved in breaking down matter. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today I have Joy Yang, and you may know Joy Yang from such groups as the Joy Yang Trio, the Briar Schlenker Trio, Kuroshio. She was a member of the Noise Ensemble, the International Ethernet Orchestra, and the Almost A Quintet. So, Joy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sven. Today we're going to be listening to your recently improvised, recorded in the studio, Moon Dream, which it was amazing. So without further ado, let's listen to the piece. Thank you. 
Welcome back. So, Joy, 
Since this piece does not have any lyrics, we'll have to forego my favorite question. I have one question that just is hanging over my head that I want to get out right away is when you position yourself in front of whichever instrument you're going to improvise on, what is that first thing that goes through your head? What do you think about where you're going to put your hands? Like, what is that first impulse just before it begins? The first impulse I have is usually just to empty my mind and to sink into the present moment and to tune into how I'm feeling, how the instrument feels and the room, what's happened in the room, what's just gone on and how I would like to feel, which is always to be more present. Interesting. So I wasn't sure what to expect. And and obviously, in a way, it's interesting that, you know, we had a conversation about a dream about a moon and you you decided to call it Moon Dream after the imp- improvisation. To me, it was when you first laid out that you just hit this minor chord, I was like, oh, where is this going to go? I- I'm curious. There's no wrong answers in terms of what goes through someone's mind when they're, or the mechanics of improvisation. But being in the moment, it just fascinates me that you're able to create these motifs that come through. So um, there was this line that that you kept repeating as a melody, and then you would kind of dance around what was going on with the melody. In the process, is there this moment where, like, the mechanical takes over, the muscle memory takes over, or are you thinking in terms of scales at that point? Are you thinking in terms of, do you envision a melody and it comes through? out through your fingers or chords or rhythms or you're dealing with you're like creating worlds is what i think of improvisation is so if there was a question in there please feel free to answer it sorry about that it is a very broad question and it's something that i'm always investigating and i think a lot of improvisers for them it's a lifelong journey of exploring the process and I ask myself that question every day <laughs> about how am I doing this and what's happening. It's actually part of my doctoral research. I'm uh, focusing on the process of piano improvisation in the context of interdisciplinary collaboration through an autoethnographic lens. So that's through my personal experiences and projects. And so I'm actually analyzing my creative improvisational process through the case studies of the collaborations that I'm involved in. That includes upcoming concerts in the next year. So I'm always curious about my ever-changing process, especially coming from a classically trained background where I didn't grow up improvising. In the moment of when it's happening, I rarely ever think about theory or technical things like scales or octaves I did play some octaves and I noticed when I was doing it that I was playing octaves but it wasn't anything like now I'm going to play octaves I always viewed technique as a tool to express what I'm trying to do and the joy of it for me is I never know what's going to happen when I start playing it's an explorative process and usually it's very cathartic because through the process I'm able to release all these feelings and it's almost like you know like at the end of a day when your mind just wanders and goes through everything and understands the things that have happened I feel that way through sound that through expressing I'm able to know like oh okay yeah I'm feeling that and now I'm like expressing it and then moving on or letting it go and it's even more special when I get to share that with people like just now I felt like that was a shared experience which is different to my daily practice where I improvise completely alone, which is also a shared experience with myself and vulnerable and intense in different ways. But I did feel like it was a kind of communication between us two, which did influence some of the choices I made because I see improvisation as very much like a conversation, even if it's like the audience may not have said anything, but being a performer on stage or through the recording, I am hopefully touching the audience in some way and connecting. The thing that fascinated me is 
Before you began improvising, you asked about a time concern. You asked me about trying to fit it within a certain time frame. And I said, well, you know, about 10 minutes will be good. I am fascinated by the fact that I said, oh, you know, 10 minutes, but let it flow. Let it be. Don't think about that. The fact that you disappear in the moment and yet you managed to, I think the end time was maybe 10 minutes and 20 seconds. So it's this weird concept in my brain of how do you stay present, but also get lost in the moment all at the same time? Because to be that aware of how much time you're taking up, for me at least, in my brain, monitoring my own time, it's amazing to me that you were able to be in the performance, but also cognizant enough about how much time it was taking up. So were you thinking about that? Or was that just a a weird thing that happened? I think that's a skill that many musicians have, because in any context, say if it's a jazz solo, We're always aware of how much time has passed and, you know, taking up appropriate amount of time in the context of the song and how many choruses we want to take. Or Most musicians probably have a very strong sense of time passing because of our practice routines and the amount of time it takes to do a performance or recording. But I think for me, probably because of my classical training, I am aware of the way that time is actually passing versus how it feels to me. And then I'm able to balance that and understand the discrepancy. So sometimes when I'm playing, it feels like there's no time, but a part of my mind is definitely monitoring time in a different way. So with the improvising, I've been doing it for about two years now, improvising daily, recording it and transcribing it. And that has allowed me to get a better understanding of how long something actually takes and how it feels in my body under different circumstances. Because most of my improvisations range from about five or seven minutes to like 20 minutes. And certain days I'll finish and I'll be like, wow, that felt like really long. And then it was really long. Or maybe it wasn't, but I kind of get better at sensing like, okay, how long would it take me to get this kind of emotion. Like if I say I knew I had 20 minutes to record it, I might go like really deep in something. I kind of knew like, okay, around 10 minutes, I'll explore maybe like just one main thing, one main feeling or something. It sounds like instead of thinking about things in terms of like a motif, rhythmic or melodic, that it's not the concept of that in particular, it's more of a mood. So instead of saying motive it is a mood is that a good characterization or is that am i off a little bit or a lot i definitely see my purpose as a person to create greater understanding uh through expression i feel like that's my purpose in life and i kind of discovered that at the end of uh, last year in november so improvising is like a way for me to do that it's a way to connect with myself and others and then any ideas or motives or technical things that are happening is just a vehicle for communication and I'm not too concerned about what motive it is because there are so many ideas and motives out there but I'm concerned about the meaning of it and the impact of what I'm putting out. As a classically trained musician you're most likely familiar with certain formats like the sonata form. Do you ever approach your improvisations in that manner of, do you see it as here is the introduction, here is the exposition, here's the recapitulation? I think definitely understanding and studying the theory behind Western music and other musics and forms. It's given me a greater database to draw from and it's been fascinating, but When it comes to me creating, unless the task is to uh, emulate a specific thing as an exercise, I would do that. But I prefer to just do whatever I want. (laughs) So I don't do that. Sometimes I will work on something in my improvisation. Like I'll be like, I'm going to work on keeping a consistent groove and then changing one element. But I do a lot of things like that in my practice time. 
I practice classical and jazz piano, so I practice specific things, but improv is just really a time for me to express and synthesize everything. In terms of improvisation within the jazz, I guess, in the jazz genre uh, versus the improvisation that you do now, how do you see those two being distinct from one another, or are they distinct from one another? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And jazz itself has so many different styles and approaches to improvisation in it. I would say what you just heard, some people might call it a jazz improvisation, but I'm really interested in breaking the boundaries between styles and genres as an artist. So I do want to study the characteristics and approaches to specific styles like jazz, pop, classical, R&B. But when it comes to improvising, I want that to be just pure expression. And I think some might call it omni-idiomatic improvisation, which means bringing in various styles and all of it is included. I haven't really made up my mind about my approach because I do think that it would be difficult to ignore genres completely. And it is connected to those, but I'm not really trying to do anything in particular but I think it's connected also to who I am and how I see music in life because I'm interested in exploring liminal spaces and I find that in culture and life and music and identity because my music is closely tied to who I am and I don't find that I as a person often fit into one specific box. Like I'm South African, Chinese, Australian, and I also feel like all of that is just a way to see who I am, but not necessarily defining who I am. I'd like to pinpoint a little bit more what happened in the piece that you just improvised. There's a lot to take in and there's a lot of things to think about what was going through your head as you were thinking about it? What what emotion were you trying to express? How about let me do it this way, where it's like, I, I will express what I was feeling. So maybe that's... Yeah, I would love to hear what you felt. <laughs> so honestly, it felt like, and, and I don't, I can't even say that this, can I say that this is an emotion? But I felt like wandering, but I don't know if that's just because of like my own standard music thought process is how do I wrap my head around what scales you're doing? Like, where's the pattern? Where do I, where do I rest in? Where do I get my brain to just listen and ease into it? Do you um, mean wondering as in like curious or wondering like meandering, like walking through the woods, like wondering, like what kind of wondering is that? I was saying like wandering. Like O-N-D I guess, like, or? W-A-N-D. Ah, wandering. wandering. Sorry. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Good old Midwestern accent <laughs> uh, does that again. Oh, my goodness. How I, Like now I'm just trying to replay it in my head as best I can. When you first started, I, it was, it felt sad, which is, you know, my, my feeling. But mm-hmm. I'm also thinking imagery too. Because yeah, I would love some, to hear that. Because there was some rain in there, there was some, mm. there's some wind. The concepts in which we have about music or visual things, what we find aesthetic, what we find pleasing, or what we create, is all based upon a reflection of what's already in nature. So there's rhythms that get mm. created in nature. You know, even our own heartbeat, accelerando or retardando, it's like those are all things that create an emotional response to us because we have that physical reaction mm-hmm. or we sense that speed up or slow down all based upon our excitement or relaxation. Mm-hmm. So I guess in some ways my go-to is always like when it's a mood or it's atmosphere or my brain always goes back to something in nature and and definitely like wind and rain. It was sad, but it was also very contemplative. But I also thought as it was going through and as soon as I would start to kind of settle in and be like, okay, (laughs) I could breathe. There was something that that kind of jarred a little bit. And it was like kind of that wake up or or like the the thunder, the lightning that kind of comes in. As soon as you kind of settle into a melody, you would you would play with that melody and it would kind of wander around. There'd be like, 
it would be what normally would be like a diatonic scale and then all of a sudden it would be chromatic and it was it was like this very um uncertain now there's that that other sense too mm. i don't know it it's so strange to have to put i mean isn't this what music and lyrics and things like that are all about is is trying to put our emotions which are so very not concrete into something that's can be almost as equally abstract or not concrete as, as music or or lyrics and so that was my impression i don't know if that was very focused but that was kind of the trip of my brain so mm. i'm curious what your what what was going through your head as you were improvising that was awesome thanks for sharing like all oh, the sure. stories and i'm curious how did you feel when it was ending and how did you feel after it had ended oh yeah and you know it's funny that i i mentioned the heartbeat in there because there was that or even the mimicry of like a mechanical watch kind of counting down the seconds in that last little bit you had a kind of that in 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 the final parts it did indicate i i I don't know how you did it, and and I'll have to listen to it again. But <laughs> somehow I knew it was coming to an end too, and so I don't know. Like it, like it wasn't like, oh, it's it's done. It wasn't like boom, you know, big chord at the end or anything like that. It was like I knew that it was that the end was was near. That it was you were, I wouldn't say ramping up to the end, but you were definitely like easing into that final bit. I don't know if this is just morbid, but it's just felt very um end of end of life almost does that does that sound weird yeah i'm but, like about to cry <laughs> i feel very emotional right now so yeah oh, that's beautiful I'm, thank you uh, that's a huge compliment i mean yeah <laughs> thank uh-oh. you yeah it's yeah. interesting what you said because a lot of it was I, I haven't shared what it was like for me but and we hadn't actually talked about this before this interview but nature is one of the biggest inspirations for me when it comes to creating and i find that nature is so beautiful and complex so i think it's amazing that you thought about nature <laughs> when mm. you're listening to me play and also yeah i mean life and death and time endings and stuff has been on my mind a lot this past year mm. and i find that that was beautiful how you, you described the ending because that i do think about those things a lot and how it impacts life and our experiences of you know things in life and i think i am thankful because i have played some really great masterpieces in classical piano which have been really super well constructed and they have taught me a lot about how sound can express such concepts like about striving just joy loneliness time passing very slowly or about the endings of things one of the classical pieces i'm working on right now is kind of about life and death in my opinion so i have had the privilege of learning how composers like Beethoven, Barber kind of think about those things, or at least that's how I interpreted their compositions. That was fascinating about how those thoughts came up in your head. And this is actually a special experience for me because I don't often get to hear such a intimate breakdown of my improvisations on other people. Mm. So this is really fun because, you know, often I might hear like a, just a, a little comment but not such a detailed and every time i have heard that it really does touch me because i it feels really satisfying to me when i feel like wow i just communicated with somebody else through sound (laughs) which is great (laughs) the experience that you just relayed to me about me telling you about my interpretation of your work you know what it reminds me so much of is there's that feeling of when you give someone a gift and they really love it and they they get why you gave them that gift it means something so i hope that this doesn't cheapen it by me saying this but like that transactional relationship that happened i i think that was i mean cuz i appreciate that you gave something very special you know for this podcast that's the joy i think of performing i only started accepting maybe this past year that it's something that i enjoy and it encourages my creative process which is actually believing what 
the audience says <laughs> and trusting their feedback and taking it to heart. I think that that has been really beautiful. And I guess going back to my experience of what just happened mm -hmm. um, when I was playing it, I think also what you shared, Sven, just now is also about, I guess, how I've been growing as a person in life and seeing that it's okay for me to be myself and be human and then allow other people to share that experience and be there for me, which was a huge lesson for me this past year. And it's really impacted the sound I make now. There's been a lot of music that I've played before that I always was wondering, like, why am I doing this? What's the ultimate greater purpose? But I'm, I feel like I'm sort of getting better now at understanding what that could be for me. So right now, I guess when I played, I chewed into how I was feeling. And then I have been uh, experiencing many emotions lately, let's say even today. And it's really cool that you had those visualizations and experiences because that's pretty much how I was feeling. <laughs> I kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I was like, well, the sound is like me. It's just coming right out. And it almost felt like at certain points I got through the sadness. It's a balance between somehow I'm producing the sound, but I'm hearing it. I'm not really actively thinking about producing the sound. Mm. I'm just, it's just like I'm there. Despite the struggles that I've been currently uh, experiencing, there's still a lot to explore and there's still hope there. There could still be a spark and there could be beautiful things that come out of it if I keep trying and keep giving it a chance. And so I was just exploring that feeling of like, maybe. And then I think at certain points, it's almost like me improvising is like me giving myself like a hug because it was mm. like, it's okay that you're feeling these things and this is what you need right now. So then I was just exploring like fun things, I think. And then sometimes, yeah, like there may be a bit beautiful things, but it could be difficult, like you said, with the dissonance or like, you know, when you wander through the wood and there's like pretty things and you're realizing that you're spending like time wandering through the woods and you're enjoying it, but time's still ticking and they could be like weird things in nature that I don't understand or that challenge me. But this was like, this is really about my life, but that's the concept that I was feeling in the moment that it was like, there are things and in the process of me creating it, it was like, I wasn't thinking I will now play a dissonant note. It was just like, these things are unpredictable and they'd happen. It's I wasn't feeling like everything is always consonant and good right now. It was like, things are good, but then challenges emerge and I will continue to go through it. But then at one point, I was pretty happy because I found a nice groove. That is a concept that I've been thinking about lately in my personal life about how to navigate the feeling of uncertainty about the future. You know, I'm about to graduate in a year, but also just the things that I'm invested in and how there's nothing really that I can predict and control. I mean, there's a limit. So then at a certain point, I was just like, I'm just going to focus on finding a good groove that feels good. <laughs> and so I was able to find that. And then, you know, that was pretty fun. And then, but at the end, I remember it, somehow the moon thing was back in my head. And then there was like beautiful imagery that you shared about your moon dream. And I've been obsessed with dreams this year. So I kind of felt like it was almost like whatever I had just played in the groove, the groove will transform. And it almost felt like you said, like what you said about knowing that it was coming to an end. It is how I feel about a lot of things. Like I have been struggling with accepting endings, that it's a natural part of life. I think that at that moment, it was like, well, yeah, all these things that we've been exploring in this improv, I mean, it's got to come to some kind of end. It was just like, I think the thing I played in the groove, it kind of went off into this feeling that I guess I do feel sometimes that there's a fascination with childlike innocence or play or discovery, which we've experienced as kids. I, I did. And so it was like, you know, there's something so beautiful and fragile and pure about that. So I think that's what kind of happened at the end. But then it also reminded me of how when the pale, like the moonlight shimmers on like trees and water, it is like very calming. 
yet eerie, but I really love nighttime. You know, it's almost like you said, it's like a time to sleep or a time to like, it's like death or like ending. It's just like, well, it's going to happen. <laughs> when you improvise or when you step up to whatever instrument you will improvise on, I mean, you start off with an emotion, but do you let the music, I, I'm, I'm just... It seems like there could be a circle there, right? Like, so it's it's mm -hmm. either like where it doesn't really start. There's no point to it, right? Like, it just keeps going around. And, and what comes first is it the emotion that you put out, or is it the emo, or is it the emotion you're trying to portray, or is it the emotion that comes back at you when you express it? In, in much the same way as you you mentioned that it was. It can be therapeutic. Like, do you discover something about yourself as you play? Is it an exploration or is it an expression? It's kind of the, the, the two balancing acts that I'm trying to ask about. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a really interesting lens to, I guess, analyze what might have been happening. And this is great. It's very thought-provoking for me as the person who does it. <laughs> so... When I improvise alone, I'm in my private space practicing, so there's only me who hears it. In that sense, I'm less removed from what's happening and how I'm feeling afterwards and perceived, because part of my project, I guess, will be analyzing that through some academic lens. But it's different when I'm doing it by myself. It's part of my routine, so I do it even when I don't want to a lot of the times, just to like try to stay uh, compositionally active and you know, come up with ideas and stuff. But when I do it alone, it's purely expression. It's like free journaling, you know, when we just journal all our thoughts out on a page or record a voice memo to myself about all my random thoughts. It's kind of like that. There's no pressure about what comes out and I try not to judge what comes out. And I do listen back to it, which is always different to what I thought was going on. And that has actually been really healing because when I first started the process, I had a lot of fear about listening back to my recordings. So I did listen back to it maybe like a few days later, a week later, and I was always surprised at what it sounded like. It usually sounded much better than I thought at the time of playing it. And it was like, wow, that's actually kind of cool because now when I listened, I was in a completely different place and emotional state. And then it was like a gift to myself because I was like, the thing that I was feeling might have been bad or whatever at the time, but now it's like taken on a new meaning. So that was kind of cool. But when I do it with another person, it's different because I am considering that another person is experiencing this live with me. And I think the kind of person that I am, I feel happy when people around me feel accepted and seen and included in the experience. So a part of what I'm doing does factor in how the other person might be feeling or how they might experience it. It's more of a communication. So then when that happens, I don't really ever play something where I'm trying to do something. I think that when I'm improvising and I'm trying to do something, it comes across like that. It would sound like I'm trying to do something, but... I usually just play what I am and what I feel. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Jubilee Cafe. Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening, located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee 
dot cafe at community dash ucc dot org. Welcome back. So, Joy, do you have a favorite Champagne Urbana venue? Yes, my favorite venue is Granite Center for the Performing Arts because student tickets are only $10 there. Do you have a favorite hall at Cranert? No, I love all the shows that are on there. And coming from Sydney, Australia, Cranert is so close to Smith Memorial Hall. It's so accessible and so affordable, but we get to see performers from all around the world and I will never take that for granted. You know, I can just walk there. Do you have a favorite show that you went to? I've loved every single show I've gone to at Granite. I mean, sometimes I also get to meet the performers afterwards and hang out, which has been amazing. So every show there has been so inspirational. I mean, usually during the semester, I go two to three times a week and I book Mm. all my tickets in advance and I get to select, you know, my favorite seat in the whole hall. So I've experimented with sitting at different parts of the halls and stuff. I've had so many moments in Granite where... I just listen and it was like, wow, I've never heard music like this or something. It was like the sounds just like, it was so experiential. And then then I go and practice and I experiment with what I heard and I'm applying those concepts. And the quality of the music there has been so amazing. Like sometimes I just feel so thankful that I could even like hear such great musicianship right Right. here in Champaign-Urbana. My favorite ones was this um, Bassiani, I think, a Georgian group they were singing. I also sat at the front, Mm. (laughs) which was, I've experimented with many seats and, you know, it sounds great everywhere, but I also made eye contact, direct eye contact with the performers, which was like, wow. But that was like so beautiful and they were just so open. And I also always admire like the bravery of performers to just share their heart and themselves so openly with everyone. So those things really encouraged me. I also really enjoyed Ben Harper, who was there last year. Oh my goodness. That was just, I think that the audience was so silent the entire time because we were just listening so closely to him. And for a lot of it, he was just like in his own world, which I felt so lucky to be a part of. And it was beautiful. And um So, all kinds of genres, I I go to them. And I think that that's also challenging for me as a performer to do that. It's just, it is. It's really hard, I think, to to bear (laughs) bear your soul to other people in that way. But luckily, I think I don't have to, like, sing and look at people. So, usually I don't have to make direct eye contact with the audience. One of the things that we talked about off the mic was that... Not only are you an accomplished pianist, but you also play the theremin. So, how did you get into playing the theremin? I first discovered the theremin in 2016 at the end of my study abroad semester here at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I went to Chicago afterwards and went to a jazz gig and met some cool people. One of the bass players that my friend introduced me to was telling me about how the drummer in the group was playing a mini theremin, and he showed me a video of Clara Rockmore on YouTube playing the theremin. And I thought that he was pulling my leg. So I was like, haha, that's really funny. And then he was like, no, this is a real instrument. So I was mind blown. And then when I went back to Australia, I interviewed for this electronic class ensemble with Dr. Adam Hulbert, who was the Sonic Arts convener at that time, and I think he still is. So we were talking and I said, like, you know, I'm kind of interested in learning the theremin. And then he was like, what? I named my daughter after Clara Rockmore. And I used to tour playing the theremin and I've got one in my office if you want to borrow it and practice. So I was like, okay. You know, three times a week I would go and borrow his theremin and then practice it for about a year. And eventually I bought my own theremin. So that's how I kind of started learning the theremin through Dr. Halbert. So the listeners that are not familiar with a theremin, how would you describe what its construction looks like? Yeah, so I play the Moog Etherwave theremin with CV, and it's a wooden box with two metal rods. One of them is vertical on the right side, and the other one is a curved horizontal 
rod on the left side. Let's see, the vertical, I almost want to say it looks like an antenna, is what controls the pitch. And then the loop or the horizontal uh, metal, what, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I'm just going to say a metal loop off the side is what you control the volume or intensity. Like, I always thought that it was, the pitch was based upon going up or down the antenna, but we were talking and it's actually the distance from the antenna is what determines the pitch. But so closer to the antenna is a higher pitch and farther away is a lower pitch. What was it about the theremin that just drew you in that made you love it so much? At first I thought it was fake. I didn't realize that it was a real instrument when I saw the video because I'd never heard of it. It's the only instrument that one can play without touching. And I, I do find that very fascinating. But also I think at the time in 2017 when I started experimenting, it was so different to playing the piano because all the notes are there and I make contact with the keys on the piano. But on the theremin, the pitch... Uh, you can slide between all the pitches. There's a huge range, and also it's there's no touching, so it completely changed my concept of how to approach sound and creating sound. So it was an experiment for me, but that exploration also complemented and enriched my piano exploration of sound. And the fascinating thing I liked about the theremin was I was self-taught, so. I was just doing what I wanted to learn it, and I started experimenting more with creating sounds in Ableton Live. I had been getting into producing at that time, but then I got more into sound design when I started playing the theremin. And I felt so free that I could just play how I wanted, play the sounds that I wanted. And also, it's an extremely expressive instrument uh, because it's very gestural, and so I could experiment with gestures that create sound, but also creating a greater visual connection with the audience. Whereas on the piano, I'm usually extremely efficient and I don't think about that side as much, but the theremin allows greater audience fascination and there's so many ways to produce the same sound, but also exploring how different motions create different types of sounds depending on how I had designed it. So I almost felt like the theremin was closer to the human voice, and it allowed me to find an outlet for my voice in my head that I hadn't expressed before on the piano. So with Ableton, you're able to run the sounds that you generate through the theremin, through special effects, you're able to loop it if necessary, you're able to create new explorations. What about its nature in terms of the sounds that it generates, do you feel that it has an advantage of being more expressive than the piano, or do you just think it expresses it differently? It's difficult to compare the theremin to the piano. I've definitely been playing piano for a much longer time, like 24 years now, and my relationship with the piano has been very... It's gotten much deeper, and I am constantly exploring the tone and sounds of the piano. I see the piano as an orchestra or a band. It's definitely one of the most powerful instruments in terms of the layers of sound that can be achieved in the tone and expressiveness. And But it's different because the theremin, when I play it, is electronic, whereas the piano, when I play it, is acoustic. So it's hard to compare the two. But with the theremin... It has its own inbuilt sounds. There's brightness that can be adjusted and the wave form. And there are newer versions of the theremin that have other parameters as well. But I like to augment it with the laptop and uh, use a MIDI controller to change between the different sounds or loops and stuff because I think that that gives the theremin a new life. It is a synthesizer. So I do enjoy creating sounds and exploring them. But I think a unique thing about how I approach the theremin is that I approach it as an instrument of my own. I use the instrument to make it what I want to express. A lot of people, I think, 
maybe stick with the sounds or trying to emulate a certain sound that's portrayed in media. And it can be used functionally, you know, like doing noise sweeps and things like that. But I like to create the sounds to be me. And I think the fun thing is a lot of things that you hear on recordings of me playing theremin, and hopefully it's become more distinctive, is that the gestures and sounds I create are sounds in my head. They're like the sounds I like to make for fun when Mm. no one's listening. (laughs) Like it's just how I talk and yeah. (laughs) One of my big questions that I like to ask my guess is what do you think makes a good music scene or what makes a good music community? I think an integral part of community is openness, acceptance, curiosity, mutual exchange of information and challenging each other with our perspectives and our honesty in giving feedback and encouragement. I think that extends beyond music, but I think that music is a really big part of our community building and expression. I think that one of the great things about Champaign-Urbana is that we have the intense university campus and culture, but it's also in a very prominent existing community that is um, surrounding and supporting what the university is also doing. So I think that has been very interesting for me to experience because I go to a lot of shows and venues off and on campus and especially a venue like the Rose Bowl Tavern. That's really broadened my sense of community in Champaign-Urbana and see how what the students are doing are also encouraging community members and seeing how other uh, faculty members and people who relate with music differently we're all kind of getting to play together and experience that. And that's a really unique thing about Champaign-Urbana. I think it's very um, open and inclusive. And I have been able to travel quite a fair bit. You know, I haven't really seen such a great overlap as I see here, where everyone is kind of invited to these events to attend, or there's a lot of workshops through Improvisers Exchange or Cranet that we get to interact with international performers and they're very open to sharing the music. So I really appreciate that energy here. What do you think Champaign-Urbana could do better? As a existing music graduate student, I can only speak from my experience here since I've been here for the master's and doctoral program in grad school. So I do have my unique experience in the classical and jazz programs here. But Something that I'm really passionate about and was able to start this summer was the Music Graduate Students Registered Student Organization, also known as MUGS. And I'm the current president of the organization. And our mission is to create a more supportive and uh, inclusive and energetic culture and community among the graduate students in the School of Music, especially coming out of the pandemic. We're all feeling quite isolated and it was hard to meet people and also just feel a sense of well-being and natural flow of human interaction so that's something that we're now taking active steps to change we have a team now for this organization and we're sharing information with all the incoming students and organizing parties and events for them to meet existing students or alumni and also communicating with the faculty and staff and official committees so that we can create greater change for the students and bring their concerns and voice it, you know, so that other people can see it. Because sometimes I think a lot of that goes unnoticed or people don't know how to make the change happen. So hopefully the student organization will also connect the graduate students with the local and greater community, which is in line with the School of Music's mission statement, I think. So we just want to supplement what the school is trying to do already. Well, that's great. And the organization is called MUGS? MUGS. It stands for Music Graduate Students. Excellent. And I, I think we haven't had something like that for like six years or something here. So I'm really excited to see a shift. I think that greater community will also help students practice better and be more creative 
and form more interdisciplinary bonds and improve their mental health. Sometimes in uh, academic settings, it can be difficult to find the balance and permission to experience other things in life. So mm. what the community we're trying to do is encourage students to share about their struggles, but also have fun and do other things together. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004. Carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. So, Joy, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? I don't know if this really counts, but I love to dance. It is related because I like to dance to music, and I think it enhances my experience of music, but I like to dance all styles, do dance classes, collaborate with dancers. But when I dance, it's so fun to be bad at something. <laughs> and um oh. not have pressure and just be learning and also the best thing about dance is um when i do partner dancing like swing dancing or salsa i kind of release control and go with the flow and allow the other person to like come up with moves it's very relaxing for me how do you find ways to be active in dancing or is it just you don't mind just dancing you know, people think about going out and dancing or going to places. Is there a favorite place that you like to go and dance? Or do you, are you the, I don't mind dancing by myself? Yeah, I really reconnected with dance after the pandemic because I found that my dancing friends really inspired me. It's very related to personal expression. It requires a lot of discipline and also creativity. So it was challenging for me. I did a lot of dance growing up. I did ballet for eight years as a kid. I decided that it wasn't for me. <laughs> but yeah, I joined quite a few societies. I'm part of the Illini Swing Society and they do dances around campus and off campus at Hamilton Walkers or the Union Ballroom. I used to also do salsa lessons in Sydney here, I think there is also a salsa society, but Wednesday nights at Nola's Rock Bar in Urbana, there's a Latin dance night where I usually go for late night salsa and merengue bachata dancing. This summer, I've been taking dance classes at the Urbana Dance Company in tango, bachata and salsa for fun. Mm. And it's fascinating because each dance has its own style and expression and I, I find the body just very fascinating when it comes to dance I love how it's so malleable and physical I, the, the dance I kind of do is really just for social interaction and it's <laughs> to meet people and um, experience different approaches and styles which really fascinates me I also enjoy having some physical contact with people and having a little bit of conversation while dancing socially and that's always really fun and also it allows me to embody the sound which I think helps me become a better musician mm. when I know how sound makes people move but also I'm a very active person so some of my other favorite things to do when not practicing or listening to music is going for long walks in nature or exercising like running going to the gym doing yoga hiking and traveling and exploring different things cooking and gardening and i also have worms i have vermicompost and 
I look after the worms. How did you get into worm compost or <laughs> like how did <laughs> that's amazing yeah it's a very random quirky thing when i was a kid i grew up in south africa i played outside a lot and i loved insects and playing with different creatures and then suddenly some reason i got scared of insects eventually so then when i first started the vermicompost i was terrified my shoulders were stiff for like days because i was so scared of the worms i don't know i just started it because i i got covid in january and i was quarantined at home and my friend had showed me her worms before and I was freaked out, but her plants looked really great in her apartment. And I also wanted my plants to look great in my apartment. So I asked her for some tips. I got the equipment. I bought the worms. I brought the worms back to life because they were dehydrated. You have to like sprinkle some water on them. And unfortunately, I had ordered 100 worms. And <laughs> and um, only one survived. Oh. And I didn't know that. So for three months... I thought that I was seeing a different worm every time I went to look after it, but it was the same worm and it didn't reproduce because it was only one worm. Right. So for ages, I was like, oh my goodness, this this is, um, I'm not getting a lot of worm tea, which is the liquid that gets drained from the compost they create. And then I realized that it was one lonely worm and then it started getting kind of uh, depressed, I noticed, because this worm just... I was observing its um, motion and its behavior and it just started not caring about what I did to it when I tried to remove it. So then I was like, okay, something's wrong. So then I looked through the whole compost bin and I realized that was the only worm. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked my friend to give me some of her worms. And um, so now they have all been reproducing and I have a lot of worms and it's been so good. And I uh, feed them all my vegetable scraps. I don't have, uh -huh. you know, that much food waste. And my plants have been looking great. Mm. And I have, like, liquid fertilizer. There's definitely a lot of insects that get attracted to the compost bin. But when I do it right, um, it's not too bad. But there were some bad times. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, every time, though, I open the thing, like, especially at the start, it was almost like a meditation on life. Because I never knew that there were so many organisms involved in breaking down matter. And I had never observed so closely the decay of things. Mm. And now I know how, you know, peppers and avocados and broccoli, or whatever, decays. And how each thing degrades differently. And how important worms are in human life and, you know, plants growing. Like, we don't really even notice, like that they're working so hard under the soils that everything's fine and, you know, fertilizing it. Yeah. And so it was like really fascinating because I was really scared of all the insects, but then I was like, well, they're vital. And also I, it, I learned a lot about like concepts. Okay. Why are these certain insects coming? Because the conditions are not right. And then I could think about my life and like, the mm. kind of relationships I have, <laughs> you know, I get very abstract and right. then, also just made me realize like everything decays eventually and you know just the cycle of life i mean i was learning a lot about worms and how they live and reproduce and die and stuff and they actually stop reproducing when there's too many of them there so they just managed that and conquering the fear was really great um i was proud of myself and so yeah it's been a really great learning process for me having the worms <laughs> and the very low maintenance pets as well joy thank you so much for being on the show and just improvising a piece right here in the studio that we got to listen to and telling me all about your process and what got you into the theremin and your favorite non-musical thing it's been a pleasure to have you on the show thanks Sven. Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Joy Yang reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live.
it's a wrap. Champagne is also a band. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good. Studio on the inside. My shoulders were stiff for like days because I was so scared of the worms.